I have something on my mind, completely off topic, that I got to share. Every time I start this podcast, I hold back with all of my energy, all of my might, the urge to start each episode with whatever song is in my mind. Mainly because I cannot sing for the life of me, but also because I don't think anybody wants to be hearing that. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to hear the the, the the hour song that is stuck in my head. The the song of the hour. That's what I was looking for. Um, if you can't tell by the way that this podcast is starting out right now, <laughs> my ADHD is off the motherfucking walls. I have at least seven thoughts going on in my head at one time. And I was telling Drew this the other day where like if I could visualize my thoughts and how they come into my brain, I feel like it's like there's this conveyor belt. There's like 50 conveyor belts swirling about my brain. And they're not just like those like a sushi conveyor belt where it's like straight and it's just like chilling and it's just going across the screen. No, it is like a roller coaster, but it's a conveyor belt. I don't think this makes any sense. And they're like all around in my brain and everything's mashed up. But then all of a sudden a, a thought like shoots into my head and it's like, there's the thought, have it right now. And then another thought like flies across and it's like, have this thought right now. And then another thought comes in and it's like, no, this one. And I can't focus. <laughs> oh, uh, if, I hope someone understands what I'm saying and relates to that. Uh, Drew said that he feels like his thoughts are more of like, he sees words like floating about in his brain. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to grab that thought and think that. I'm like, oh, that sounds really peaceful. I don't, that's not me. <laughs> um, so many times this week too, I've been having client sessions where I will be talking, I will be like, oh, this is such a good point that I'm about to make, hell yeah. And then a few words in, I lose it completely. I don't even know where I was going with that. I forget like what my name is. It's just, it's just, it just feels like chaos, you know? <laughs> and this whole time my client's just like sitting on the other side of the screen going like, girl, are you good? <laughs> but I, I'm good. You know, my brain is just a crazy place to be. It's just a crazy place. But other than that, you know, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I have some things in the biz that are in the works that I'm very excited about. And the ADHD -er in me really wants to share that with you right now. But nothing's finalized. Uh, it's still a ways out before anything is finalized. And call me superstitious, but I don't want to drink it, you know? Um, so so stay tuned, I guess, for all of that to say. I, I like felt like I needed to share something, but I don't really have anything to share right now, you know? So when I was recording this episode, or when I was prepping for this episode, just a more ADHD stories for you, I was getting ready to do something completely different, like a completely different topic. And I went down a rabbit hole of like a subset of said topic, which you will find out soon. And <laughs> I just landed on this article. This article that just really grinded my gears and the hanger within me just, it was like an exorcism of hanger. It was, I was like, oh my God, I was sitting in this coffee shop and I just, I wasn't prepared to read this headline. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I, it really was like the, the diet culture gremlins just busted out of the gates of hell. And I was like, oh, hello. All right. I guess we're doing this. So the title of this godforsaken episode is also the title of or sorry, of this article is also the title of this episode. Um, it is titled Overweight, Five Reasons It's Your Fault. At first glance, I was like, this is satire. Like, this has to be satire. But alas, the gremlins in their Australian accent said, nar. In this episode, I am going to share the bits and pieces from this disgusting article that's totally fucked up and bring you the facts to back it up as to why it's so fucked up. So let's get into it. Hey there, welcome to Hangry Thoughts, the podcast where we dish out on the best bites on intuitive eating, nurture a healthy relationship with food, and of course, bust some nutrition myths because fork diet culture. I'm your host, Abby Roberts, non-diet intuitive eating dietitian and an ADHD girly here to guide you through a joyful journey towards feeling amazing in your own skin and enjoying all foods. Join me as we navigate the world of food with a fresh perspective where guilt-free nourishment and mindful eating take center stage. Together, we'll tackle the myths that may leave you feeling a little hangry or hungry for the real facts. So grab your fork, your favorite snack, and let's dive into the Hangry Thoughts podcast because it is time to embrace a vibrant, satisfying, and empowered approach to food and wellness. So Stephen Seibold is our diet culture gremlin today. Now, good old Stevie boy. I wanted to know more about this man. I wanted to know who hurt him in his childhood and why he felt this need to write such an obscure, harmful, just nasty book. Uh, Like, sir, who hurt you? Who hurt you? So I, I did a little digging on him. I did a little research. Stephen trains sales and sales management teams how to increase sales, develop people, and manage change through what he calls his mental toughness training. So you know what I love about Steve already? I'm going to tell you what I love about Steve already. The audacity that this man has to blow smoke up people's asses by tearing them down, criticizing everything about them, and then saying, be tough because this is your fault that you suck. Like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Oh my God. The more that I read about this man, I'm like, God, delusion, delusion. We're living in delusion. So... Since 1997, the year of my birth, Steve Seibold, which he has, I don't even know what these uh, acronyms are after his name, has helped Fortune 100 companies, I got this straight from his website, Fortune 100 companies increase sales by 1.3 billion USD, US dollars, through his flagship training program, Mental Toughness University. (laughs) We could guess that he's like a white cis het man, right? Like we're all picturing this, right? Well, you're correct. He is. 
Seibold has delivered $16 million in keynote speeches. He also charges $25,000. Or no, no, no. That was for like a, a program. He charges $30,000 for keynote speeches. So um, at the national and international conventions for companies like Johnson & Johnson, uh, Caterpillar, uh, Toyota, Chrysler, Fiat, Transamerica, and hundreds of others. Okay. The three topics that he's best known for, again, this is from his website, are how to build mentally tough sales team, mental toughness university, again, there it is, and then stop caring, start winning, Ew. defeating approval addiction through mental toughness training. He really likes that mental toughness, huh? That is like his brand. Um, so I'm really painting the picture here for good old Stevie boy. It's it's bleak. Um, so here's what I get from him. Sales. Mental toughness. Man. <laughs> Those are the three, the three main things. Um, I also get tone deaf. I get um, I'm better than you energy. And I get some level of just suck it up and deal with it because... It doesn't matter the system that you were born into, your race, your gender, like you're the issue, not the society. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it don't add up. The shit don't add up. So now that we have some background on our friend Steve, let me share what the Today Show wrote in his introduction blurb for his interview. <laughs> Motivational, you can tell I really love this guy. <laughs> Motivational speaker Steve Seibold gets tough with overweight and obese Americans in his new book, Die Fat or Get Tough. The book gives blunt tips, you can say that, for how people can think like a fit person and finally lose weight and get healthy. Like, isn't that an ick? That is an ick if I've ever seen one. Uh, just even like the title of that book was so jarring to me. I was like, this man really thought that he was going to sell copies. And guess what? He did. Uh, we'll get into that in a few minutes. So the article was published August 3rd, 2009. And so of course I felt like I needed to share the other things that were going on in 2009, which it kind of makes this book make more sense as to why it came out slash why people were buying it slash just how forked up diet culture was during this time. Not to say that it isn't still forked up, but like there was something special about the early 2000s. So other things that were happening during like this year specifically, page six talked about Jessica Simpson after she wore mom jeans to perform at a Florida chili cook-off calling her Jumbo Jessica. And if you've never seen these pictures, it's literally just a gal hanging out, having some chili. Oh my God, cat. <gasps> One of the cats just knocked something down. It's so funny because I don't think I could ever even pretend or try to like act like I'm recording this in a studio. <laughs> Because the cats are such menaces. You can't put them anywhere. Oh my god. Who? Who is this? I was going to edit that out, but I'm just going to leave it in. <laughs> okay, so uh, 
Jessica Simpson, they're calling her terrible names. She's literally just there, mind her on her own biz, having some chili and whatever, you know, like what, what is the point of calling her this? <laughs> there is no point. Biggest Loser was now in its sixth, no, fifth season. Victoria's Secret fashion shows were very much this like primetime television thing that people would wait for year round. I mean, that's still something that's going on, but there, there wasn't any plus size models during that time. They were all in very thin, small, straight size bodies. Um, America's Next Top Model, Tyra Banks, and other critiques uh, ridiculed and mocked contestants that were quote-unquote plus size, uh, but for the record, these people were maybe in size six bodies, but that, it, it, it's besides the point and it's not. Like, they're telling these girls that they're fat when they're very much holding thin privilege and in thin straight size bodies. And so other people that are watching this are most likely going, well, if they think that about her, what do they think about me? And so it's furthering this stigma and it's furthering this idea that we can critique other people's bodies. Like uh, that, that's really a main issue from that show. Uh, Tumblr has lots of pro content during this time. Uh, the fad diets during this time were Whole30. So this was where it was claiming that we could reduce inflammation in 30 days by following this diet. So inflammation avoidance and elimination became like this new wellness buzz phrase that we are still met with today. And then Dr. Siegel's cookie diet, which were meal replacement cookies with fiber. Mm, sounds yummy. So that's only scratching the surface and quite honestly, the t early 2000s was a terrible decade for diet culture. <laughs> and again, diet culture is still what she is today. But uh, there's, like I said, there's just something to be said about that early 2000s, man. So that being said, Steve then decides to chirp up and he publishes his first book in 2004. That was called 177 Mental Toughness Secrets of the World Class, which is very much giving me this, like, we all have the same 24 hours in a day type energy, which is just very ignorant and just, we don't, we do not all have the same four, same 24 hours in a day. Like, I'm sorry, someone that works from home versus someone that has to commute to the office, that's already a radically different type day, like a lot more barriers. Um someone that is caring for a family versus someone that lives alone, someone that has to care for their elderly parent versus someone that is caring for their new puppy. Like there's so many different aspects of life that radically change our experiences, our time management, time availability, uh, just so many things, our mental health. And so to say that we all have the same 24 hours a day is just inaccurate, right? Like big eye roll for me. In 2009, he quickly shifted gears then and then all of a sudden published this die fat or get tough 101 differences in thinking between fat people and fit people. Oh, hi, Ralph. So let me read you the summary of this book. <clears throat> this is a mental toughness book for dieters. Oh, you either think like a fat person and stay fat or you learn to think like a fit person and get fit. Oh, oh, 
Wow. Okay. No tricks, no gimmicks, only objective reality. What the fuck? It's that simple. Oh, is it? Okay. Thanks, Steve. If you study this book, you will never see eating and exercise the same way again. And you'll understand the thinking that made you fat. (laughs) What the fuck? All you have to do is make a commitment and give the mental toughness to stick to it. If you're struggling to get fit and the life you live, you deserve, and if you're struggling to get fit and live the life you deserve, the only thing standing between you and your abundant health is mental toughness. Oh, that's it? Oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm doing this all wrong then. If you'll do it, you will live a healthier, happier life. If you could see my face right now, if I was recording these episodes, my face is so deadpan right now. Like, the more that I read this article and the more that I looked into this Steve Seibold character, the more I was just blown away that this guy's serious. He's so serious. And this, like, mental toughness thing is, like, his whole personality. So, of course, this really grinded my gears. And so, of course, I took to Amazon reviews to see how many people are raving or what I was hoping (laughs) to be shitting on this book. (laughs) But really not to my surprise, every single review had their own opinion of like why people, but like specifically Americans are fat, saying things like, it's the carbs, the prepackaged foods, the low income, the laziness, the corn syrup, the ingredients that are banned in other countries, our body can't process foods. Like, mm, Ralph, oh my God, this cat. I swear to God, he's crying because I have the door closed and he's like, let me in. (laughs) Okay. So the book outlines five differences between fat people and fit people. Mind you, none of these claims are backed by scientific studies, dietitians, doctors, or like literally anyone with a brain. (laughs) So, okay. Okay. I need to, I need to like simmer down a little bit because I'm so hangry. I'm very riled up. So number one, difference number one, he writes, fat people eat for pleasure, fit people eat for health. Like right away, right away. I was like, he like can't be for real. Sometimes I read things from diet culture where it like, (laughs) I'm truly at a loss for words. It just blows my mind that this is what people believe to be facts and true. So in this Today Show article, um, they share this excerpt from his book, and then they also had an interview with him. And actually, I have a little thing that I want to talk about from his interview um, after I shared these differences. And I, I just, I have to read this. I have to read these two lines. So he says, um, The average person fortunate enough to live in a modern society with an abundance of food and the luxury of eating anytime views eating primarily as a pleasurable activity. Fit people see eating primarily as a means to increase energy, health, and vitality, but food is viewed as a means to an end rather than an end itself. While fat people are buying into advertising and connecting food with happiness, people who are thin and healthy ignore commercial propaganda and choose to educate themselves on the healthiest foods available. Oh my God. So here's this guy saying that the only reason that someone is in a larger body or that someone is in a smaller body is because one, they 
don't eat for emotions. Um, they only eat because they're hungry. And when they do eat, it's only of the utmost health. It's only the organic. It's only the non-processed, the non-GMO, without red 40. So he goes on to say in his, his number one difference that fat people are experiencing nightmares about heart attacks, diabetes, and an overall loss of energy and stamina, um, while fit people are disciplining themselves. If that doesn't make you so pissed off, I, I, I want to know why. Because when I read this, I just, I just see him sitting down to write this book with just so much arrogance and thinking like he knows all of it and he's all that in a bag of chips when like there is no science to any of this and there is no facts to any of this. And the thing with his book is there are zero citations. There's nothing that backs this up. There are no, there's nothing. And honestly, the reason that so many of us have a difficult relationship with food is because we feel like we can only eat for hunger or to be healthy. When truly food exists for so many reasons. Like, yes, we can eat for pleasure. That is okay and that is normal. We can also eat because we want to be healthy or we want energy. Uh, We can also eat because we want that connection. Maybe there's tradition. Maybe we're celebrating something. Maybe we're bored. And so many other reasons. So when he talks about, you know, people that are doing it wrong, people that are doing it right, and he's making this so black and white, it, it makes it makes it feel like this is like this no brainer and it's something that's so simple when truly it's not. Mm. His second difference is fat people believe diets don't work. Okay. They're, they're right. (laughs) Fit people believe that people don't work. Fit people believe that people don't work. So what he means by this, as he goes on to say, and he actually contradicts himself over and over and over again, in like just a couple sentences. So another little excerpt that I want to read for you. He writes, Americans have been programmed to believe diets don't work because of the inability of the average person to stick to them and their unwillingness to take responsibility for their own failure. Mr. Sir, you were correct in your first part of that sentence by saying that diets don't work because of the inability to stick to them. Like that is quite literally the number one reason as to why diets don't work. (laughs) Like, oh, God, it's like, you know, when you're talking to someone and you're in an argument, but you're like, oh, my God, they're saying exactly what I'm saying. And then right at the end, they trail off and just go somewhere else. And you're like, whoa, where did that point come from? Like, do you not understand what you just said right before that? Because the two aren't adding up. Like, it's like, you think one or the other. I don't understand how you're thinking both at the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? It's very political. And that's what's coming up for me. (laughs) I'm so worked up. That's what's coming up for me in this. I'm like, guy, you are explaining exactly what we're saying. Us us non-diet, intuitive, eating, health at every size, weight-inclusive dietitians of like, hey, diets do not work because they're unsustainable, because they cut foods out of our diet, because we can't stick to them, because, 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 because. And then he goes on to say, 
Make no mistake, many diets work very well. An individual lacks the mental toughness to stick to a diet, and this doesn't make the diet any less effective. What? <laughs> like, I'm trying to read this and trying to understand this, and I just can't. He says that this is no different, like someone going on a diet and failing their diet and then blaming the diet for failing and not themselves for failing. He says that this is no different than a college graduate begging for money on the street and then blaming the school for his failure to succeed. How are those two things connected? Like, what? You can 100% go to school and then graduate and then not have any money and be living on the streets because hashtag society, hashtag capitalism, hashtag love it here. (laughs) So like, same thing with diets, bro. I don't, I just, I don't understand him at all. His third difference that he goes on to say is fat people are waiting to be rescued from obesity. Fit people know that no one is coming to the rescue. What? I would argue that that is very incorrect, mainly because someone that is in a larger body does, feels the weight stigma and feels this pressure of going to the doctor's office and the doctor just talking about their weight even though the the patient went there for like a headache or like a rash and the doctor is just connecting it to their weight when if they actually asked them questions took blood to their vitals all the things they would see like oh no it's not because of your weight it's because of this micronutrient deficiency. It's because of this is in your your genetics. It's because of something in your environment. Like, mm. number four, he writes, fat people believe diets are fads. Okay, again, they're right because uh, they are. Fit people believe diets are strategies. That is his favorite word throughout his book. Oh my gosh, I'm sure at this point you guys are like, girl, do something about your cat. And I'm trying. (laughs) I just, I just went out of the room and grabbed Ralph and now he's sitting in the closet with me and he's trying to hop onto my laptop. (laughs) Um, somebody please come sponsor the pod so I can be in a studio. (laughs) Ralph, I love you so much, but please, please work with me here, man. Okay. So number four. So, um, what was I saying? Okay. The average person, what, what he says in this, um, in this section, he says that the average person has been programmed to believe that diets are short-term fads and it's for quick weight loss. It, uh, uh, isn't that exactly what diets are? Isn't, isn't that exactly what they market diets as? Mm, I'm so confused. He goes on then to talk about that people that are world-class thinkers uh, know that it's actually just a strategy to assist them in controlling their weight, and it also enhances their health. And so fit people know that it's actually just this thing of being um, systematic with your food intake and controlling it and monitoring it for optimal results. And when he says that, I'm like, that's literally still a diet. That's literally disordered eating, tracking, monitoring, like being skeptical or like not having certain foods in your diet. Like that's dieting. So again, 
he's like right on the point with it of like saying why diets don't work and then he goes off in the other direction like a trillion miles Mm. his last point that he writes is fat people eat emotionally fit people eat strategically so it he's just kind of like repeating himself at this point now he's he goes on to say that this is because um obesity is caused by emotional eating and that someone is in a larger body because the only reason they eat is out of emotions because they can't control their emotions and man when he said that i about flipped my lid emotional eating is part of normal eating we're humans we are dynamic we're not robots right? Like we don't have the same emotion or demeanor, feelings, experiences all day, every day, year round. Like uh, that would be craziness if that's what happened. And like our lives wouldn't be fun if that's what our experience was. And so food is no different to expect ourselves to eat the exact same way all day, every day, year round, to expect ourselves to not have fun with food or feel comfort or joy with food that's just it's not part of our experience and how boring would our life be and would food be if if it was you know I don't know about you but any time that I have been on a diet I am not having fun with food mm-mm I am so sick of the diet foods. I'm so sick of the salads, the chicken, the rice, the broccoli. I'm like, girlfriend, get me literally anything else. I want something else. And yes, part of that is because I am so deprived and restricted physically and mentally from the food. But it's also because you miss the other aspects that come with food. Ooh, okay. So let's talk a little bit more about Stevie. So I kept reading about him and I found his LinkedIn. (laughs) I found his LinkedIn and he had written, um, about six months ago on LinkedIn that he had a book tour for this book specifically, the die fat or get tough, (laughs) stupid name, um, where people were sending him death threats for this book and what he was saying. Um, he said that if you're fat, it's your fault. And he said that despite numerous death threats after appearing on the Today Show the good and Good Morning America, this is the message that he took to the world after writing Die Fat or Get Tough, blah, blah, blah. He also wrote a book that I forgot to mention earlier called Fat Loser, Mental Toughness for Dieters. So when he was going around doing like his press conferences and whatever, the BBC in London insisted on having bodyguards escort him from one interview to the next. Isn't that insane? And then someone in Australia for like Channel 7 was then concerned that he would be physically attacked when he exited one of the studios in Sydney. He says, this this is a quote from him. All of this was because, (laughs) I don't know if you can just hear Drew yelling at Ralph. (laughs) this cat oh love him so much but what is going on a quote from him is 
All of this because I was asking people to take responsibility for their own health and stop blaming others for being overweight or obese. It turns out that millions of people would prefer to blame others for their own personal shortcomings and failures. (laughs) This man, people are literally going to him and saying, dude, what the fuck? Like what you're saying is so hurtful and harmful and inaccurate and he's still going, oh my God, you're just, you're not wanting to take ownership and uh, no. You, him, Stevie, over here, and then like three trillion miles away, the point. You know what I'm saying? Just going right over his head. Not in the same planet, not in even the same like universe. Oh my God, Ralph just knocked something over out there. I just heard it. So he he wrote also on this LinkedIn post, he goes, um, in an interview that he did was in Toronto, Canada on the Marilyn Dennis show during the height of the controversy. And then he hashtags mental toughness and hashtags personal development. <laughs> so someone then commented on his LinkedIn post saying, Steve, what about the people with thyroid issues or Prader-Willi syndrome, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, gastroesophageal reflux disease and irritable bowel syndrome, Cushing syndrome, ovarian tumors? Is that their fault? And I was like, queen or King, I don't remember who wrote this. And then he responds with, of course not. In the book, in hundreds of press interviews, I state that this applies to more than 99% of the population with the exception of those suffering from a medical condition. Bro, 99% of the population? Are you saying that only 1% of the population has a medical condition? Because I guarantee that that is false. (laughs) He goes, unfortunately, it's the 99% making the excuses, the result of which is a population eating itself to death. What? Again, who hurt this man? He had in 2009 another interview where he talked about his own reaction to his own book. (laughs) So his editor comes back to him, gives him like the second draft and goes, hey, these are my edits. Like give it another once over. Let me know what you think. And Steve recalled being offended by his own book. (laughs) Like he was mad at what he said. And he goes, (laughs) he said that I've been thinking like a fat person my whole life. I was fit until I was 40, but I ate like a pig and at the core beliefs of a fat person. If I wasn't lucky with my genes, I would have been the size of an elephant. No kidding. I could sit in front of the TV and down a family size bag of Doritos in my sleep. And that was just the warm up for the pizza. So here he is again. Big old walking contradiction. Mr. I think I am the king of the world, but I actually don't know what the fuck I'm saying. Um, He just explained, he just explained genetics to us. (laughs) He just mansplained it to us and then sprinkled it with a whole lot of fucking diet culture. So basically what he said is I because of my genetics, because of my biology, because of my environment, my income, like literally all of these things that maybe he doesn't necessarily have control over. Um, he, at this point in his life, could eat what he wanted and his body necessarily wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily change. Um, for a lot of people, that's not the case. For some people, it is. And that doesn't make anyone good, better, worse. Uh, like, it's just, it is what it is. And he is saying that 
you know, one time he woke up and was like, oh my God, I need to start applying my own mental toughness philosophy to my eating and exercise. And then after 12 weeks, he lost 40 pounds and he's never had a problem again since. It's just the audacity. It's the contradiction. It's the just zero understanding of how the human body works for me. So Abby, why are you sharing this with us? Why are you telling us all of these terrible things that this terrible man said and did? Let me tell you, I think quite honestly that this is such a perfect prime example of diet culture. Like if, if someone were to ask me, what is diet culture? I would point to Steve. <laughs> I would point to Steve and go that right there, him, take him away. Um, everything that he said aligns with diet culture to its core and is the reason why diet culture and the diet industry exists and why it is so profitable. And outside of all of that, it is the weight stigma, body shaming, and this idea that we know someone's health and eating behaviors just by looking at them that is so prevalent in our society today and and even more so then that is a huge reason as to why people in larger bodies fat bodies will not seek medical care will not receive the help that they need from doctors because the doctors are so fucking busy with focusing on weight shape and size when we know and if you've listened to my other episodes we know that this is not the case And that weight really is not a predictor of health outcomes. Again, correlation is not causation. (sighs) I I want us all to take a deep breath. I want us all to go to our happy place. (laughs) Oh, man. There is so much to unpack in this episode, there is so many unpleasant things that this man has put out into the universe. And I, I do not urge anyone to go read his book. I do not urge anyone to give this man money. I do not urge anyone to give this man the time of day. All right. This man holds no background degree, uh, literature experience within science, medicine, health, nutrition, exercise. And yet here he is giving us all of his raw, honest opinions that nobody asked for. And isn't that so on brand with diet culture? Mm hmm. So. With that, <laughs> I I feel like we're all in our hangry thoughts right now. I know I am. I'm I'm sweating over here. I'm just seething. I'm so mad at this man. And also, thank you, Steve, for giving me the perfect episode to describe diet culture in one human. <laughs> oh, that was kind of an evil laugh. So thank you for sticking with me through this episode. I know this was a bit of a doozy. Uh, There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of harm. There's a lot of just (laughs) fucked up things that this guy has said. And I want to leave you with this. Dealing with diet culture in any capacity, shape, or form is hard. And you are not a failure 
if you didn't stick with your diet and you are also not a failure, if you have the desire to diet. All of this makes sense. All of this is so valid. And the society that we live in when it comes to fat phobia, weight stigma, it's hard out there. And if you are in a body that does not experience thin privilege, it makes even more sense. And something that we are going to go over, spoiler alert, in our next episode is why do I have the desire to diet even though I know diets don't work? You are worth so much more than the number on the scale, than the number of your jeans, your clothing size. And it is okay to feel a multitude of feelings when it comes to these topics. If you are feeling frustrated, angry, annoyed, relieved, whatever it may be when it comes to diet culture, it makes sense and that is okay because that is your lived experience. And who am I to say what's right or wrong for you? Right? Like that that wouldn't make any sense. I am just here to share some of these things that I am viewing in the diet culture world, give some different perspectives on it. And you can do with that what you will. I'm also here to say that, hey, it's hard to be a human sometimes. And it's also okay if sometimes we just want to give the diet culture the middle finger. Or in this case, Steve. (laughs) I will see you guys next week for why do I still want to diet even though I know diets don't work. And share some more hangry thoughts. Bye. (music) Bye.